We're going to continue our study here in the book of Romans. We're going to look at this topic of identification because it's, it's one of those topics that I think is really underemphasized probably in Christian teaching. In fact, I had shared last week that at times many Bible teachers will just skip through this section or fly through this section, kind of not really knowing how it fits with the previous context to where we're going in chapter 6. But I think it's, it's key. I think it's, it's a key linchpin. And part of the reason I think that is because here in the church uh, of Jesus Christ, I believe we're having an identity crisis. And it's not uh, a gender identity crisis. It's not identity, identity theft. It's an identity crisis in which we don't understand who we are or what we have in Christ Jesus. And it's one of those um, topics that, uh, interestingly enough, it, it's, is so littered through the pages of Scripture that if you're not looking for this phrase, in Christ, you'll just fly right past it. You'll miss it. But it's very key. In fact, it's so key that the security that we have in all three phases of our salvation, when we talk about three phases of salvation, we're talking about justification, past tense. It says, I have been saved from the penalty of sin. We're talking about sanctification, present tense. I am being saved from the power of sin. And we're also talking about a future tense called glorification, which means that we'll be saved from the very presence of sin at death. And so when, when we talk about identification, the security that we have in all three phases is based on identification. Let me show you a couple of things. You don't have to, if you want to just put your finger in Romans, you can leave it there. And if you've got more than one finger, then you can go with me to 2 Corinthians 5.21, if you want to. I'll just read it for you. But I want you to notice this phrase, in Christ, as it relates to our righteousness, as it relates to us being declared righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And notice that next phrase, in him. See, God can declare you righteous, not because you have promised to behave the rest of your life, or that you have sworn and taken an oath that you'll quit sinning, you're going to sin less and less. and grow. That's not why God saved you. God saved you because you trusted in the finished work of another. And when you did that, God took you out of your old family, your old federal head, and he placed you in Christ. And now you know what? You have righteousness. You have been credited righteousness. Jesus Christ is your righteousness. That can never change. And see, our position, our identity, secures that righteous standing before God. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The beautiful thing about our identification with Christ is you didn't place yourself in Christ. God put you there. God had a purpose for putting you there. And so in 1 Corinthians 1.30, he says this, But of him, speaking of God, you are, again, notice the phrase, in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, notice the next couple of phrases, and righteousness and sanctification. See, you have been set apart to God. You've been sanctified in Christ, and now God wants to make that positional sanctification a reality in your daily life. He wants you to grow in who you are in Christ. You have, you have been sanctified. And then finally in Romans, going back to Romans uh, chapter 8, we understand that even if you fail in life and even if you make mistakes, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Why? Because you've been placed in Christ. Look at Romans 8, 39. Verse 39, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is where? 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, this identification, this isn't just something, this isn't just positive thinking, okay? We're not telling you to, to think positively and just when things are going bad, just remember who you are. That's not the whole message. The, the message is, yes, we need to remember that, but it's, the reason we need to remember it is because it's true. This is true of you. This is, this is God letting us in behind the kitchen doors, showing us how he views you on a daily basis. And so where this becomes practical is when you begin to say, well, I'm a failure. I'm never going to amount to anything. Oh, no one will listen to me. No one likes me. I've got no value in this life. I've, this and this, all these kind of thinking, that's, that's all wrong because of the truth of the fact of the matter is God views you much differently. And you know what? In the grand scheme of things, who cares what you think of yourself? <laughs> I'm, I'm more concerned about what God thinks of you. And see, identification gives us that truth that God views you differently than you view view yourself. And you, as a believer, need to start aligning your thinking with the way God thinks about you. And stop believing all of the garbage in this world. Every time I see a magazine cover, every time I see an advertisement, every time I see, I just think, lie, lie, lie. Those are all lies. That's what our world promotes. I want to promote truth. Romans 5, this section in Romans promotes the truth that you are no longer seen in Adam by the only one whose opinion matters. You are seen in Christ. You are loved. You are accepted in the beloved. See, that's the beautiful message of identification. I love this quote by a commentator, uh, William Newell. He says, you and I would fail as, as did Adam, and God desired that believers should be secure forever by Christ's work. It was in, notice this next word, because it doesn't sound like it, but it was in love that he held that judgment day in Eden. In love, he judged us, he condemned us in our federal head, Adam. Wow, that doesn't sound loving, judge, in our federal. But notice why he does it. That he might justify us in the work and person of the other federal head, Christ. See, God views humanity, we mentioned last week, in, in two categories, not, not black, not white, not Hispanic, not, you know, Spanish speaking, not Southern Georgia accents and, and Northern um, whatever, I don't know, what are those Northern accents? Um, accents. God doesn't see us that way. That's how we see humanity. That's how we see mankind. God sees you one of two ways. As you sit here today, God either sees you in Adam or he sees you in Christ. And the dividing line is, what are you trusting to get yourself to heaven? You're trusting in your good works. You're trusting in your church attendance. You're trusting in the fact that you were born into a Christian family. What are, you, what are you trusting in? Are you trusting in the one who died for you and rose again? See, the moment you put your faith in Christ alone, God takes you out of this family and he puts you in this family. And the good news that we started to look at last week is that the decisions that this man made impacted you negatively. But the good news is now the decision that this man made, the one righteous act that this man did, impacted you in a positive way. So positive that many times we don't even understand exactly what we have in Christ. We have to learn about it over time because the Bible is just filled with the benefits that we have now that we're in Christ. We looked at this concept last week, and as North Korea uh, is going back and forth with our president in this ping-pong match, no pun intended. Um, 
But you know, if he declares war on North Korea, everyone in this room who's an American citizen is at war with North Korea. His decisions impact all of us. And we looked at that concept last week. The other thing we looked at a little bit last week, just in terms of review, is this idea of the first and last Adam. We're not talking about a first and second Adam, implying that there's going to be a third and a fourth, but that God is, is done with his federal heads for humanity. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we need to know whom God identifies us with. In other words, we need to know who is our federal head. As a believer, we need to know the following things. These are three things we need to know. Who our federal head is. We need to quit identifying ourselves with Adam. Adam's a failure. Adam's under condemnation. Adam will amount to nothing. That's not you anymore. That's not your identity before God. We need to know what our federal head has done. And we will look at that as we study, continue to study Romans 5. And we need to understand how we've been impacted by it. Additionally, we need to begin to identify Ourself with the federal head that God identifies us with. We need to understand how God views us and begin to think of ourselves that way. You know, it, yesterday I had an interesting um, experience. We, um, we did, you, did you know weeds grow in Georgia? Man, that is, they are a nightmare too. Um, we spent, my nine-year-old and I spent about two hours picking weeds uh, in our backyard yesterday and we didn't even get, I mean, we got a lot of it done, but not all of it. And, um, those of you that know Sadie, she's, uh, she's a talker, so she, she kept me quite, interest, uh, quite interested in the conversation, and time flew by. We talked a lot about hermit crabs and things that were important to her, but out of the, out of the blue, she says, um, Dad, what are you preaching on tomorrow? Whoa, this is interesting. So how do I explain identification to a nine-year-old? Because this is important for any believer of any age to understand, and so I came out with an illustration, and so I'm going to share that with you this morning. Everyone, everyone knows and everyone talks about and wishes that you had that rich uncle, right? That rich uncle that exists somewhere in, in la-la land, fairy tale land. And, you know, one of the things about that is if we can use this as an illustration, is, is as, a, as a kid, you find out about this rich uncle, he, he dies and he leaves everything to you. And the only thing you know at that point in time is that he had a million-dollar life insurance policy. And you say, that's great. Million dollars in the bank for me, I'll, I'll take it. But you know, as you get into the room and, and the lawyers begin to explain who your rich uncle was, what he did, what he owned, you start to realize that your rich uncle owned a boat. Well, you know what that means. You got a boat. And then you find out that your rich uncle has has a beachside cabin on the island of Oahu. I mean, check that. You've, you've now got a beachside cabin on the island of Oahu. And you found out he's got, not only that, but he's got a cabin up in Aspen, Colorado with like ski slopes going right in front of it. I don't know if that exists, but let's just, you know, if it's an illustration we're, we're building there. Um, no, you've got a ski cabin in Aspen, Colorado. You see, what your rich uncle has, you now possess. And as you sit in that room and as you listen to everything that he possessed, a private jet with a full-time staff that's paid for for the next 60 years, you can go anywhere you want. That's your private jet. That's your staff. A mansion here, a, a car here, a car there. And you begin to realize much more than just the million dollars in the bank. You thought that was good enough. And, you know, for many Christians... They think, well, I put my faith in Christ. I'm not going to hell. My sins are, are paid for. That's good. 
That's good. But I'm here to tell you today, just sit at the table. Begin, begin to understand from the word of God who you are in Christ and what you have. It's so much more than just getting out of hell. It's so much more than having your sins forgiven. It, it's so much more that it's going to take a lifetime and an eternity, if you will, to learn all that we possess in Christ. This is why God identified you with Christ, because he didn't just give you one blessing, but what you find is like swimming in a swimming pool, you are going to be buried in blessings. As you figure more and more about, about who you are in Christ and what you have and what he provided for you, you're going you're gonna to be swimming in the blessings of God. This is what we have to understand. This is why this whole concept of identification is perfect. And then I asked Sadie if that made sense, and she said, yeah, so about the hermit crab, uh, <laughs> let's keep going. So I don't know, maybe, maybe it did make sense, maybe it will as we go forward. All right, join me in Romans chapter 5, and let's pick up where we left off last week in verse 15. What we saw in verses 12 through 14 was this, your federal head, which you were born into this family physically, he sinned. And because he sinned, you sinned. Because what was true of Adam became true of you. And because he sinned, death came by sin. And so everybody in the history of mankind has died, except we, we, we did mention one exception back in Genesis 5. Uh, and that was, um, why can't I think of it? It's Enoch. That's one exception. We won't talk about the exception, but everybody else died. And that's Paul's proof that God identified you with Adam. Because even from Adam to Moses, there was no law, there was no specific command that people broke to incur the death penalty. Adam had a specific command. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he, and he broke it. And so he incurred the death penalty. But what the whole point of federal headship and identification is, is because Adam did that, you suffered the consequences of his one action. And I can already hear it, and we mentioned it last week. That's not fair, that's not fair, that's not fair. You are correct. And you ought to thank God that it's not fair. Because in the same way he's going to allow one action by one man in time, space, history to condemn you to an eternity in hell, he's also going to allow one action by one man in time and space history to give you the opportunity to go to heaven and to enjoy the blessings. And that's called grace. You don't deserve either one. It's not fair. We don't want fair when it comes to the justice of God. We want grace so that he can execute justice on somebody else on our behalf. And that's what he did in Christ. And so what we're going to see is is starting in verse 15 and 16, Paul's going to use a couple of repeated phrases. Verse 15, he's going to say that the free gift is not like the offense. And then in verse 16, he's going to say, and the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. And so we're going to see that the free gift is not like what Adam did. How are they not alike? Well, we're going to see it play out, but they're not alike because what he did provided negative consequences, but what Christ did provided positive consequences. So they're not alike in that way. They are alike in that they're both federal heads and that their actions impacted others, but they're not alike because of the consequences, one negative, one positive. So that's one of the repeated phrases that we're going to see. The other repeated phrase that we're going to see is this phrase, much more. That's that's what I love about God. is because he is an expressive God, if you want to say that way. Um, He doesn't do things half-hearted. He he does things much more. (laughs) And you're going to see words in here in this passage like abundance, 
abundance. Just God just does things in an incredible way. He doesn't just restore what you had. He takes you to somewhere so much better. And see, this is the kind of God that we serve. And so I just want to point that out as we begin to study through here in verse 15. And so we'll look at this concept of not alike. Verse 15 reads this. But the free gift is not like the offense, for if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And so the free gift is not like the offense. The free gift spoken of here, when you look at it in the original language, means a gift of grace. Okay? A gift that you don't deserve. A gift that's undeserved benefit. The offense spoken of here, in contrast, means a fault. A lapse, an error, and it came to represent errors or faults of weakness. So right there, by definition, the word choice is totally different. One was, it was due to a lapse of error and weakness, and so there was deserved consequences. One is, is undeserved consequences. It's a free gift. It's something that you're given. And so when we look at this concept of Adam in Christ, and one of the ways that it's not uh, like the other is it the fact that the, the consequences here in Adam were deserved? The consequences over here, the positive consequences, were undeserved. It wasn't like you said, okay, God, if, if you'll just get me out of Adam, I, I promise I won't sin anymore. I, I promise I'll quit looking at that stuff. I'll, I promise I'll quit getting angry. I promise I'll start, you know, loving my wife and, and not kicking my dog. And I, and I promise and I promise and I promise if you'll just put me in Christ. That's not how it worked. You didn't merit your departure from, from Adam. It was an undeserved free gift when you put your faith in Christ. And he goes on to say, if, if by one man's offense many died, and that if there is, a, is what we would call a first-class condition in the Greek, and so what that is saying is that for by one man's offense many died, and they did, not, not a conditional like if, ah, maybe, I don't know. No, it's, it's a first-class condition assuming the fact for, for argument's sake. So if by one man's offense many died, and they did, assuming that the reality is true, and didn't we just see that back in verse 12, 13, and 14? They did. That's the whole point of Paul's argument. One man sinned, everyone was impacted by it, and everyone died, even though they had not sinned according to the likeness of Adam, breaking a specific command, because the law hasn't even been introduced until Moses, and yet everybody from Adam to Moses did what? Well, they lived, and then they died. And we see that funeral procession in Genesis chapter 5. And so notice that Paul uses the word many of both groups under their federal heads. Let's, let's read that again because I want you to, to pick that up. There's a strategic reason, I believe, that he uses the word many. Verse 15. For if by the one man's offense, notice that word many, died, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And so the many of Adam's group that we see here in verse 15 is really all. How do we know that? We'll go to verse 12 and verse 18. Now, the distinction that's going to be made is this. The Bible doesn't teach universal salvation. And so when he's talking about the many of Christ here, he is talking about the work of Christ can apply to everybody. That's why the Bible doesn't say, doesn't say in John three sixteen, for God so loved the elect that if the elect believe then they, they won't perish and have eternal life. No, he, he loves the world, that's everybody, that whosoever, that's anybody, believes. So the point is this, is to get from this federal head to this federal head it is easy, 
in the sense that God has made it available to all. He's not limiting it to a certain few. He's not limiting it to the certain uh, initiated, you know, special people. No, he's offering it to all. So the many of Adam here is all. The many of Christ that, that abounds to, to many here, as we look in verse 15, is all. In other words, it's available to all. Now, do all take advantage of it? That's really the million-dollar question. We're going to see that distinction as we keep working through Romans 5. No, all do not take advantage of it because all don't believe on Jesus. Some people reject Jesus Christ and what he did for them. And some do it for religious reasons. Oh, I can't be that easy. I got I to gotta do something. I mean, gee. I mean, I like Jesus. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, Jesus is in the equation, but I, I got to add something to that. And we don't realize, or th- folks that think that way don't realize that when they do that, they are basically stating, Jesus, you are not enough. Like our song we sang today, is Christ enough for you? Are you convinced that he paid for all of your penalty on the cross when he died for you and rose again? And so that's uh, the question. And so we get to this word, um, much more. <clears throat> and I love that. Isn't that a great picture? For those of you that are not on a diet, that looks really good, doesn't it? But you know, we've got so much more in Christ. And, and when we talk about what we have in Christ, it's, you can't even get the words out because you can't, in, a, in, a, in one setting, tell everything that you have in Christ. It's, it's so overwhelming. I mean, this is the God of the universe who's using his creativity to, to love you and shower blessing on you. How do, how do you sit and describe that in, in an hour-long talk over coffee? <laughs> I mean, you can't, you can't do that. And you wonder what we're going to be doing for eternity. You know, is it, aren't we going to get bored up there after the first thousand years? I, no. I, I, I mean, we won't. This is, this is just maybe one plate in heaven. I, I don't know. I mean, just using this illustration. We're not, we're not going to get board. This is what we're going to be excited about. This is what we're going to understand more and more. And so we see this, this phrase that Paul uses. It's um, two words put together in verse 15. It's much more. And it, I'll just show you the, the Greek. It's, it's palo and malon. It, it means, uh, palo means many or much of number and more means more. Uh, so it seems kind of redundant, but that's the point. This is more and more. This is a, a lot of more, a whole lot of more, right? I mean, we could say it a lot of different ways, but the point is, is he's emphasizing how much more you have now in Christ. What you got in Adam is true, but man, you got so much more in Jesus Christ. And that's the emphasis here. And this is the good news aspect of identification. You know, when we present the gospel and justification, we talk about bad news that you're a sinner and there's a penalty for sin. And God's going to exact that penalty on you. And then we have the good news is Christ paid that penalty. And you can benefit from it when you put your faith in him and him alone. And there's good news of identification. There was bad news. You're, you're in trouble. A, a one decision got you into a world of hurt. But guess what? Somebody else's decision can get you out of that world of hurt and put you into a world of, of pleasure at God's right hand with the Savior. So God's undeserved favor and the gift by grace from Jesus Christ, again, something given freely, not deserved or earned in any way, abounded to many. And it it abounded to the many of Adam's race, which means that all have the ability to be put into Christ. All have the ability to be saved and delivered from Adam's family. 
So in the same way Adam's one offense had consequences for all, Jesus' gift had consequences for all, the same all for many. And again, it it abounded. It means uh, in excess. It exceeded in number uh, or measure in a way that it had more than enough. It's not, you know, you ever been to those stores where they say like, you know, free sandwiches all day or whatever, and if you don't get over there right in the morning, um, they actually lie to you because eventually they run out of bread, right? There's too many people that take advantage of it. And by the time you get there, they're like, I'm sorry, we're out of bread. I mean, we can slap a piece of ham and cheese on a napkin if you want to take that, and then, but we're out of bread. And it's like, wait a minute, you said free sandwiches all day to anybody that comes. And all I'm saying is this word abounded means that God's not going to run out of bread. <laughs> God's not going to run out of the ingredients that he's promised to give you. They've, they're abounded. They're, they're in excess. They're, they're never going to be, um, uh, um, I can't think of the word, they're never going to be used up. See, that's the beautiful nature of an infinite God who makes promises and then doesn't break his word. He keeps his promises. And so God's grace, again, unmerited favor, and Jesus' gift of grace is more than enough to take care of every person, the many of Adam's race, the all, uh, under his federal headship. And that's what we see in verse 15. It's not like the offense in this way. It's not like the offense in the terms of consequences. But God has done something much more. And it's abounded. It's, it's accessible to everybody. Now, as we move into verse 16, we're going to see a, another not alike in verse 16. And in this time, verse 16 says, And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. And so what he's saying here is the gift is, is not like, okay, again, it's, it's, it's in distinction to what came through the one who sinned. And what does he mean by that? Well, eternal life, salvation is not like death and condemnation in the sense that these are deserved consequences. These are undeserved consequences. Good consequences, but still undeserved consequences based on the work of Jesus Christ. You know, I remember um, growing up in school, and um, you know, sometimes it's fun to tell stories because um, you can always make yourself look better in stories. Now, I, I do tell stories where I'm, I look bad, but in this case, you just have to trust me. I wasn't the bad guy, okay? I, I really wasn't. Um, we were sitting in class, and, and you guys have had experiences like this or can relate to this. We're sitting in class. I remember economics class I, um, in high school, and, I, and to this day, um, I still feel sorry for this teacher. He was, a good, he was a nice guy, but the kids took advantage of him. He was kind of on his way out. He was nearing retirement. He was probably old, like 40 or something, um, which I thought was old then. I'm starting to think it's young. Um, but no, he was, he was near retirement. He was, he was definitely near retirement age. And I remember these kids in my class, um, every time he turned to write on the board, they were, they were crumbling up sheets of paper and just throwing it at him as hard as, as, hard as they could and, and trying to hit him while he was writing on the board. And, and these papers were just hitting around his head. And um, he really had a good sense of humor because one time somebody threw a penny at him and he turned around and picked it up and he's like, you cheapskates, at least y'all could throw $20 bills up here. And so he had a good sense of humor. But one of the things I remember <clears throat> there is a point to this story. Um, one of the things I remember is one time that happened, and a kid did it, and um, he said, okay, who threw that paper? 
And, you know, high school class, right? Everybody, everybody points and tattles. No, nobody tattles, right? You know, the whole phrase, you know, snitches get stitches. You know, you don't, you don't want to mess around. And the kid that threw the ball, he was the guy that could give you stitches too. So nobody, nobody wanted to say anything. And so we all just sat there and he said, okay, well, since nobody will tell me uh, who did it, um, you're going to have an extra assignment tonight. And he gave us a ton of homework based on the action of this one guy. And I remember, I remember thinking, man, that is not fair. I wish I would have told on the guy. But I got stuck with extra homework because of what one guy did. And again, that, I think that illustrates this, this point that we're looking at um, here with this uh, action of Adam and how we're all impacted. Again, what is, is true of our federal head is also true of us. It was Adam's one offense that resulted in a condemnatory judgment for all of us. And again, what's true of our federal head is true of us. Um, now, we're going to look at something here, and, I, and I, I say this facetiously. I'm not trying to say that God doesn't have good math skills, because obviously he created math and he created truth. So, um, but we're going to see some reverse math here. We're going to see uh, math God's down. In fact, if, ma- if you could do math this way, many more of you would love math. If we could do math this way, because what we're going to see is it's, God's math is, is a little bit different here. And so follow with me in verse 16. Um, Because he's going to say this in verse 16. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. So let's put these in contradistinction to one another. What did he just say? Notice the contrast, why the gift is not like the offense, okay? Here's why it's not alike. One offense, one offense by, by Adam equaled death and condemnation. Now let's look at God's math. Many offenses equals justification or declaration of righteousness. And if you're anything like me, shouldn't this be the opposite? How, how could this be? So you're telling me, and, and by the way, this is going to preempt the question that comes up in Romans 6.1, which is basically says this, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? If lots of sin brings out the grace and glory of God more, shouldn't we just keep on sinning so that God's glorified and his grace is exalted? It's, it's based on some of this math that's going on here. And he says, one offense condemned everybody. Many offenses, you can be declared righteous. How does that work? Well, it only works in the gospel. It only works in a message that's gracious. It only works in a message that saves you, not based on what you do, but based on what Jesus Christ has already done. And so this doesn't seem to make sense, but in the, in the grand scheme of, of God and the way that he values things, here's the answer. It lies in the value and the worth of the work of our second federal head. See, God values uh, and puts great worth on what Jesus Christ did for you on your behalf. And that's why he can take many people who have not only been condemned in Adam, but have worked out that condemnation through specific acts of sin over their lifetime. He can take those people who put their faith in his son and he can declare them righteous. He can give them a free gift called salvation when they simply put their faith in what Jesus did. It all has to do with the value and the work of Jesus Christ. We always talk about value adding. Let's, let's provide a value added solution. You know, I was sitting uh, many business meetings over the years and 
Um, some I wish I had not had to sit through because they were just, you know, too much. But, but the point was, I remember one boss, he says, don't bring me problems, bring me solutions. And that was his mantra. Don't bring me, anyone can see problems. Anyone can complain. Anyone can point out where the fault is. But how many people can point it out and then devise a solution for that problem? That's the type of thing. And that's, that's the way our God works. That was a, an overwhelming problem. A, a race of mankind who had no righteousness, who had a death penalty hanging over their head. How would God solve that problem? And he solved it through the provision he made in Jesus Christ. And so God is the ultimate solution maker. And he considered what Christ did to be very high value. Verse 17 much more. This is one of those much more comments, and notice that it has to do with a difference, uh, a change of reign. There's a, there's a change of reign when you leave this family and become a part of this family. Verse 17 says this, for if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Uh, the if here, again, is another first-class condition, basically stating if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, and it did, again, see verses 12 through 14, death reigned, death reigns over this world, over lost humanity, those in Adam, death reigns. And so what has changed here in verse 17, and how did it reign? Well, um, again, we saw in verse 12, uh, through 14, by Adam's one offense. It's been borne out time and time again. Everybody's part of the ultimate statistic that 10 out of 10 people die, right? That's, that's true in life. We see that played out. And the older we get, the more funerals uh, we attend. You know, it's, it's interesting because right when you get out of high school, I had a guy tell me one time, like, hey, right when you get out of high school, invest in a, in a suit, a nice suit. And I said, Why? It, like to go to church? And he said, no, to go to all the weddings you're going to be going to in the next 10 years. And you just have one suit and you just go to all the weddings and reuse it. And he's right. Because at that stage in life, how many weddings do you go to? It seems like for a couple of years, I was at a wedding every other weekend, felt like. And then as you get older, you need a suit for a different reason because you're attending more and more funerals. And that's just the reality of the world we live in, that death, death reigns over, over Adam's um, family and over mankind in general. But you know what? There's a much more. There's a Apollos Malone, as we looked at earlier. There's uh, so much more that those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. You know, we, don't, uh, we haven't talked much about the rapture of the church since I've been here, but you know what? There is a generation of believers who will not die. Isn't that, isn't that a wonderful truth? Based on this fact that, that nobody in this, in this box, nobody in Christ has to physically die. Why? Why didn't, doesn't it say uh, that it's appointed unto men once to die and then after this judgment? So doesn't everybody have to die? The reason you don't have to die is because your federal head died for you. He died for you. So you don't have to die. And you may be part of that generation and, and Maranatha, Lord, come. Let, let it be our generation that, that goes up and joins him in the cloud. That, that would be outstanding and exciting, right, to be that part. But that's why life reigns. That's why life reigns. You don't have to die. Now, you may still physically die if he tarries. But the point is, you will never die again. You will live 
eternally. Something has changed here. When you change family, the change of reign also changed. Death no longer has power over you. Now, just as Adam's one offense caused death to reign, much more on this positive side, due to Jesus' gift of righteousness, there will be some who reign in life. And and here's where the distinction comes in. Remember I said the many uh, can refer to all, and it can also refer to those who respond. How do we pick that up? Well, go to verse 17 again. He says, for if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who, notice that next word, receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. And so although it's available to all, only those who receive this gift benefit from it. It's, it's conditional on reception. And so how do you receive this gift? Again, there's this condition. One must receive it. And, you know, I think John does the best job of explaining this in John 1.12 because he describes succinctly how do you receive Christ. When he says that to receive Jesus Christ and his free gift, one must believe in his name. Must, you must believe. That's how you receive Christ. And that's why even in gospel presentations, I, I shy away from the word receive because I believe John goes on to explain what that means. So why not just give the explanation rather than the word receive? But receive is, is a biblical word. We're to receive this abundance of grace. We're to receive Christ. But how do you receive? That's the question. Well, you believe in his name. You believe not only in what, who Jesus Christ is, his name, but what he did. That's all that's implied, I believe, in his name. And so uh, we see that that's the condition for benefiting uh, and reigning in life. And this life is guaranteed. It's not a limited time only gift. Like you've got to act now. It's not a high pressure sales. It's high pressure in the sense that if you don't really know if, you, if you'll live, you know, the rest of today. I mean, that's just the nature of life and the nature of tragedy and, and the world that we live in that has death. But it, the point is this, is it's provided in abundance. It's in an unlimited supply. It's an overflowing amount is what uh, the scriptures teach us, this abundance that he talks about. The reigning spoken of here also is future tense. Notice it's, it's talking about something in the future. Verse 17, will reign in life, will, will reign, looking future tense. It's speaking of our future glorification in which physical death or any type of death will no longer touch us. Because Christ died, you will, you will not have to die. Because Christ lives, you live. See, that's the greatness of being identified with this federal head. So life will indeed reign uh, and rule as, as we are guaranteed that this will be true of us. Notice again this connection to Jesus, verse 17. See, look at it in your Bible. Will reign in life. Notice that next word, through the one Jesus Christ. You are inseparably connected to Jesus Christ. Where he goes, you go. What he has, you have. And that's, that's the beauty of this message of identification. And what's even more beautiful about it is we're going to see that God is, has done something as a result of that to help you in your daily life, to actually grow you spiritually, to, to benefit you in sanctification, this deliverance from the power of sin in your daily life. And so moving on to verse 18 uh, and 19. And, and before we look at verse 18, understand that verse 18 is really a continuation from verse 12. If you look in your Bibles really quickly, I pointed this out last week, but you can see it again. Notice that there's a parenthesis at the beginning of verse 13. And notice where that parenthesis ends. It's at the end of 
verse 17. And so those were, that was a per, per, parenthetical um, groups of, of thoughts there that Paul is explaining everything that is going on. But if you were just to read it through, you would read from verse 12 to verse 18. And so it looks something like this. Therefore, back in verse 12, just as through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin. And thus death spread to all men because all sin. And then jumping down to verse 18, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification in life. And then it continues to, to go on here. And so verse 18, we're going to look at this, this idea, this, this therefore um, again. And, you, and you'll see what, what's kind of building off here in verse 12. Because of Adam's one offense, sin entered the world, um, the world meaning all men, death through sin to all men, uh, judgment upon sin, all men's sins, and not only that, but Adam's sin, of which they're associated with, and then condemnation of the entire race came to all men. So if there's any question as to whether or not this includes all men, this should really eliminate that question. And this is why, again, everybody dies. This is why death is in the world. But even so, he, he goes on, similarly, this, this, this concept of being identified with your federal head, similarly, but in contrast, right? The, the consequences are different. Through Jesus Christ, one righteous act, the free gift came to all men. All men had the opportunity to be saved and have an opportunity um, to be declared righteous and reign in life came to all men via their federal head. And so we see that in, in verse 18. And so really, we've got two paths that are put forward. Which federal head do you identify with? What family are you in? There are only two. And so if you are in Adam, in other words, you don't know if you're saved. You, don't, you, don't, you wouldn't say you're 100% sure you're going to heaven. You're, you're really not sure what it takes to get to heaven. Um, this morning, I'm here to tell you that you're an Adam. You're an Adam. That's what the Bible teaches. Um, and with Adam, his one offense brought sin, death, judgment, and condemnation to your life. And that, is, and that is where you stand this morning. But here's the great thing. You don't have to attend this church for six months before you can move over here in this box. You don't even have to come to this, this stage. You don't even have to talk to me. You don't have to talk to any of the leaders here. You don't have to give money in the offering plate. You don't have to re- promise to read your Bible every day for the rest of your life. All you have to do is know the simple message of the gospel. Jesus Christ died for your sins so that you wouldn't have to pay for him yourself. And then he rose again. God accepted his sacrifice on all your behalf. Will you put your faith in him? If you put your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone, you're saved. You leave this family and you are born again into this family. And now what you have as a result is because of what he did for you, what he accomplished for you, how he performed for you, you you get righteousness offered as a free gift with resulting justification in life. It sounds like a no-brainer to me. It sounds like uh, a free gift. And I know many times in our culture, we get very um, skeptical of free gifts. We think, ah, certainly you got to pay for it. Certainly you got to do something for it. But no, the Bible says it's free because Jesus paid it all. Someone actually paid for it. It just doesn't have to be you. Jesus paid it all. And then to close this section this morning in verse 19, sinner or saint, look at uh, verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. 
So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. And so in verse 19, we, we see this concept of, of sinner or saint. Um, and this word made, you'll, you'll see uh, it's used twice in this verse. For his, by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Uh, the word made means to set or to be placed in a situation or position. Uh, it's talking about your position. Okay? It's talking about your identification. Um, so in this case, through Adam's disobedience, the entire human race was placed in Adam and were sinners by position. Now, l- let me just say something about this for, for a quick second. Um, this, is, this is only true of you if you're an Adam. You know, I, I've been in many situations before um, in teaching Bible studies, and I would just be in a, in a, in a room full of Christians and say, hey, if, you, if you're a saint this morning, would you raise your hand? And you know, and you know what most people would do? Uh, kind of had a bad week or a bad month or a bad life or whatever. I mean, and they're like, nah, I'm going to, I'm just going to keep my hand down. I'm not a saint. You know, the Bible teaches that if you put your faith in Christ, you are a saint, period. That's the truth. You, you are no longer a sinner by position. Do you know that? That somebody could never say that you are a sinner by position. Now, do you sin? Yes. And in that way, in a, in a practical way, somebody could say you're a sinner because sin, you know, that by definition, when you sin, what, what do you call that? Well, you call them a, a sinner. But I'm talking about position. You're, you're not a sinner. That's not, that's not your position anymore because you've been identified with Christ. You are now a saint. That's who you are. That's your whole new identity. That's how God sees you. Now, again, it doesn't, it doesn't excuse Sin in the believer's life. We're not promoting sin. We're not saying, hey, go live any way you want to. And that, that's, not, that's not the whole point. We're just talking about what God did in a positional aspect is you are no longer considered positionally a sinner. You are no longer considered unrighteous. Why? Because you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21, you are righteous. Even when you don't behave righteously, your position can't change. And so we see these are little distinctions that we pull out here of the tech, but they're so important in the way that you understand and view yourself in life. He goes on to say that so also many will be made righteous. Again, same word used. In contrast, each and every one of us can be impacted by Jesus' decision to go to the cross and rise again. Made is the same word used above of Adam. Um, and in this case, uh, through Jesus Christ's work on the cross, uh, we have this opportunity to be placed in Christ. And we can be righteous by position. That is a never-changing position. And many people view this whole concept of identification as um, like the, you know, the daisies. He loves me, he loves me not. And so you have a bad day. And oh, I guess I was in Adam today. And have a good day. Okay, I guess I was in Christ today. And, I, and this back and forth. And, and the, point of, the point of the matter is, when it comes to identification, once you put your faith in Christ, you, you no longer go back to this box. This is... This is done. This is, this is gone. This whole identity is gone. You have one identity moving forward, and because you can never die because Christ died for you, you remain in that position. You are righteous. You are a saint. Okay? And these are positional truths that are true of us. Our state 
Our present state is a result of our position, and our position is impacted by our federal head. And, and going forward, this is going to be so crucial to understand. We're really laying the framework, the, the foundation for understanding what he's going to teach in Romans 6 and 7. This is so important to understand how this is going to practically impact you in your daily life. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, I do thank you for your, your plan, your wonderful plan that we uh, just continue to learn more and more about as we read and study your word, this, this whole concept of identification. We are glad and thankful to be identified in your thinking with Jesus Christ when we put our faith in him. We, we want him to be our identification. We want to be united with him. Uh, we want to grow more in our likeness uh, of him uh, in, our, in our daily lives. And so, Lord, give us uh, the spiritual understanding that we need to understand these truths and how to apply them uh, with practical wisdom in our daily life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.